재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Good morning and welcome to The Bookend on TBS EFM 101.3 in the heart of Seoul, GFN 98.7 in Gwangju, and 93.7 in Yeosu. It's Sunday, October 18th, 2015, and I'm your host, Jamie Chang. At the top of our show today, we have Helen Cho with news from the world of literature, followed by The Roundtable, where we welcome back Craig Branch and Jake Preston to talk about Nick Hornby's bestseller, High Fidelity. And for today's first chapter, I'll read from Shin Sang-wung's 돌아온 우리의 친구, or Our Friend's Homecoming. For today's music, we have songs from the movie High Fidelity, starting with Katrina and the Waves singing Walk It On Sunshine. Every Sunday, we start the show with Helen Cho's hot new releases. Helen is a freelance translator. Hi, Helen. Hello. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Let's start with the most exciting news item for this week, the Nobel Prize in Literature. Who won this year? Yes. Well, this year's Nobel Prize in Literature went to the Belarusian author, Svetlana Alexievich. And this is really unusual because the award traditionally goes to either a novelist or poet, but mm-hmm. Alexievich, as you know, is neither. So it's very rare for writers who primarily write nonfiction, um, like Alexievich, to win the Nobel Prize. And other nonfiction prize winners include Bertrand Russell and Winston Churchill, who won the prize in 1950 and 1953, respectively. So she writes non-fiction works, and her writing could be best described as narrative or investigative journalism. And Mm -hmm. I'll come back to what I mean by that later on. And the Nobel Committee, in announcing the award, said only that it was for her polyphonic writings, a monument to suffering and courage in our time. Can you tell us more about Svetlana Alexievich? Um, She was born in Ukraine in 1948 to a Belarusian father and an Ukrainian mother, but her family moved to Belarus um, where her parents worked as teachers and she went on to study journalism at the University of Minsk and after she graduated in 1972, she was sent to a local newspaper in Brest near the border with Poland because of her dissident political views 
and um, she remains a critic of the Belarusian regime and she now lives in Minsk um, but she's also lived in Italy, France, Germany and Sweden and I'll t- certainly talk more about her political activism and her views um, later on. Mm-hmm. What are some of the characteristics of her work that sets her apart from other writers and other journalists? Well, in terms of um, the subject matter, she focuses on stories about war and conflict and tragedy. And she very often uses um, the Soviet Union and other Soviet countries as the backdrop of her writing. So she has written about um, like events like World War II, the Soviet-Afghan War and the Chernobyl disaster. Mm-hmm. And her work chronicles uh, many of the most important and traumatic events of Soviet history. And she tells um, so many different stories through the narratives of individuals who really experience them firsthand. Mm -hmm. So her writing, um, you might call her writings um, oral histories of Soviet life or of life in post-Soviet republics since the Soviet Union collapsed. So, um, in a way, her writing reads like a series of interviews mm-hmm. um, in which people who experienced something really tragic firsthand, like the 1986 nuclear disaster in Chernobyl, right. tell the stories directly to the reader. And as you can imagine, their stories are very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, so she produces writing that's very powerful and very beautiful, but it's um, all the more special and very valuable because it comes from a country where individual narratives have been suppressed and where suffering has been so terrible. Right. Earlier you said that the Nobel Committee referred to her writing as polyphonic, and I think that refers to the, the range and depth of the personal first-hand accounts that she relates to us. And I think in that sense, nonfiction can be trickier to write than fiction, because to tell a full, rich story that is based on reality, you have to get out there and find the stories and then weave them into narratives. And I I would say that it's a completely different kind of accomplishment from being a great novelist, wouldn't you say? Yes, in a way, she's also being a historian as well as a journalist um, in producing such profound um, and effective writing. Mm -hmm. And as a Russian journalist, Eleanor Goldman of Russian Beyond Headlines um, has pointed out, she spent the past 35 years exploring Soviet identity through the more challenging and less charted terrain of the interior life. And through real voices, she explores the psychological journey of the Soviet and more importantly, Soviet pe- um, post-Soviet people. It sounds like she's doing very important work in the field of literature. Can you tell us about her books? Um, I'm going to start with her very first book, and War's Unwomanly Face, and this came out in 1985, and it's based on interviews with women who took part in World War II. Mm-hmm. And um, this book could be described, as I think, as a confession or document or even as a record of people's memory or just all of the above. So more than 200 women um, talk about how you know, they had um, hopes and dreams as young girls, mm-hmm. but they ended up becoming soldiers in yeah. 1941. Right. Um, so in reality, more than 500,000 Soviet women took part in the Second World War, and they didn't just um, go out there and rescued and bandaged the wounded, but they just also, and um, they really um, actually fired rifles and blew up bridges, and they just went out there to kill the enemies. They oh, attacked wow. their land and homes mm. and their children. 
So um, the author, Alexievit, spent about four years um, working on the book, and she went around to like a hundred different places, cities, towns, and villages, and to record and um, stories and reminiscence of women who took part in the war. Mm-hmm. That must have been a lot of time and money that, mm-hmm. that she spent, a, a lot of emotional investment too. And this book is available in Korean translation as well. I was delighted to find. Um, it's been published under the title 전쟁은 여자의 얼굴을 하지 않았다. Oh, that's good that it's available for, for Korean readers too. Can you tell us about her most widely read book? I think in the English-speaking world, she is perhaps best known for her book Voices from Chernobyl. Um, which tells the consequences of the nuclear disaster. The book came out in 2005, and it chronicles the 1986 nuclear disaster at Chernobyl um, by interviewing hundreds of people affected by the meltdown. So we hear their stories um, about the fear, anger, and uncertainty that they went through and that they still live with these days. Do you have an excerpt from the book that you can share with us? Um, well, this book is absolutely heartbreaking. And I have a story from a father who lost um, his daughter. And I'm just going to give you this paragraph um, from Voices from Chernobyl. And it goes, <clears throat> I took my daughter and my wife to the hospital. They had black spots all over their bodies. These spots would appear and then disappear. They were about the size of a five copper coin, but nothing hurt. They did some tests on them. My daughter was six years old. I'm putting her to bed and she whispers in my ear, Daddy, I want to live. I'm still little. And I had thought she didn't understand anything. Can you picture seven little girls shaved bald in one room? There were seven of them in the hospital room. My wife couldn't take it. It'd be better for her to die than to suffer like this, or for me to die so that I don't have to watch anymore. We put her on the door. On the door my father lay on until they bought a little coffin. It was small, like the box for a large doll. I want to bear witness. My daughter died from Chernobyl, and they want us to forget about it. That is very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. I actually have a few friends and acquaintances who are involved in, in similar fields where they record first-hand accounts of victims of various violence. And I have to say, I admire them tremendously, not just because they're giving voice to people who have often been silenced. Like the father, he, he says, toward the end, I want to bear witness. They want us to forget about it. He lost his daughter, and they want him to forget about it, right? And these people have been waiting their whole lives to mm. be heard. And just the act of bearing witness to someone's account of going through and surviving these baffling realities. I think it takes a very strong, strong person to play both the audience and then later the mouthpiece to someone's horror. So apart from simply collecting information, there's probably a very good reason why it takes her so long to write these books, because how do you do this day after day, right? Yes, she really tries to capture the experience of what it's like to live under Soviet authoritarianism. And mm-hmm. I think what makes this a testimony so tragic is that they are so matter of fact as right. well. Because, you know, like you said, it's all about mm-hmm. bearing witness mm-hmm. and getting the stories out there. Mm-hmm. Just stating what happened, mm-hmm. right? And that in and of itself is horrifying, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Is there anything else that she has written that you would like to recommend to us? 
Well, I think English-speaking readers may also know Alexievich from her 1992 book Zinky Boys. Um, it's about Soviet soldiers who fought in Afghanistan in 1980s, and and the word Zinky in the title refers to the zinc coffins that carried the dead bodies of young soldiers who were killed in the war. And um, Alexievich interviews many um, many of those who were affected by the war, and most importantly, the mothers of the soldiers who've been killed. Mm-hmm. So another very harrowing yeah. account mm-hmm. of a tragedy. Right. What would you say is the virtue of Svetlana Alexievich's work? I mean, obviously it's important to bear witness, but why is it important to tell these stories and why should we as readers pay attention? Well, one of her most important contributions is as a historian, but one who, like a great novelist, um, chronicles not just what happened, but really the experiences of ordinary people. And I think her work is very often described as that of a political dissident, but Mm -hmm. there is really so much more to it than that. And as one critic has noted, um, Alexievich serves no ideology, only an ideal and she really listens closely enough to the ordinary voices of her time and orchestrates them into extraordinary books. Mm-hmm. In real life, she remains an outspoken critic of the many of the post-Soviet authoritarian regimes, and she's spoken against the, um, the Belarusian dictator, Alexander Lukashenko, as well as um, the Russian president, Putin. And she had said of Russia's growing nationalism that it's not just Putin, it's the Putin who is in every Russian. So she has a very active mm-hmm. political voice. Mm-hmm. How does she respond to the news of winning the award? Oh, this is a delightful story, actually. Um, she was actually at home doing some ironing when she got the call from the Swedish Academy, mm-hmm. and she didn't really understand what the news was um, that she was getting from okay. Stockholm. <laughs> and then when she finally cottoned on, her response was a single word. She just said, fantastic. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and um, later on, she said that this is, was an award not just for herself, but for her culture, for mm-hmm. her small country. And she feels um, very much overwhelmed by the pressure that comes with such a distinction um, and she said that the award left her with a complicated feeling and uh, so on one hand it's mm-hmm. such a fantastic feeling for her but mm-hmm. at the same time she finds it rather disturbing mm-hmm. so what does she well. yeah so what does she plan to do with the prize money well she gets eight million Swedish kroner um, mm-hmm. with her Nobel Prize for Literature and she thinks she's going to buy her freedom because it normally takes a very long time to write each book um, for say from five to ten years as you can imagine Mm because she has to go to all these places and interview all these people so um, she has two new ideas actually for books and for new books Mm -hmm. so she's really pleased that she'll have the freedom to work on them without having to worry about money well that's that's great for her even though it will probably continue to be more listening to harrowing stories. <laughs> well, I'm looking yes. forward to reading her future yeah. works. That's about all we have time for today. Okay. Thank you, Helen, for coming in, and we'll see you again next Sunday at 10 a.m. Yes, I'll see you same time next week. Coming up is today's roundtable, but first, here's another track from High Fidelity. Stevie Wonder sings, I believe when I fall in love, it'll be forever.
shattered dreams, worthless years, hear my.